Hey, y'all. Welcome to episode 10 of Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. Maddie here, and I am so excited for you to hear our discussion on Clueless. It is so iconic, recently celebrated its 25th anniversary, and we had a lot of fun discussing it. Before we get to our discussion, though, I wanted to make a little announcement. Hopefully you listened to our Karate Kid episode from a few months ago. Fantastic episode, one of my favorites. We had a very special guest, Christy Vela, with us, and she had some amazing insight into that movie. And I was invited on another podcast to talk Karate Kid, but mostly Cobra Kai. That's right. I binged it. I binged all three seasons and had a lovely discussion with Kevin Lamell of Simple Broken Mind Podcast and a few other special guests. You can find this episode and other episodes of Simple Broken Mind on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. So go take a listen if you can't get enough of Daniel, Johnny, Cobra Kai, and Eagle Fang, most importantly. All right. Well, without further ado... Let's get into episode 10, Clueless. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Unseen Supreme, the non-essential movie podcast. Um, hey! I'm, I'm trying Welcome to make... Welcome back! I'm try- hey! <laughs> I'm trying to make this intro happen where I go, I'm Maddie. Hi, hey. Maddie. <laughs> And that's why it's not happening. Oh, why do we and need I'm, to roundtable this? We people know who we are by now. Maybe We're, not. You know, guys, you know how many episodes we have? We have ten episodes. <laughs> this is number ten. Tenth episode. We should do something special. The last episode. <clears throat> it's not six p.m. <laughs> Were you getting ready to drink a beer at ten thirty in the morning? I just morning? found a beer on my table and you know, <laughs> sorting through bottles. Um. So yes, today we are talking about. <laughs> One of my favorite movies, Clueless. What the hell is that? A dress. Says who? Calvin Klein. What are you doing? Yo, you're getting on the freeway. surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. I'm gonna be a supermodel. Uh, last, last episode, we talked about Robocop, and if you haven't heard it or seen it, you need to watch it and you need to listen to our episode. It was a very informative, eye-opening episode. In preparation for this podcast episode, I actually went back and re-listened to that because I, th- I thought it might help help me uh, discuss clueless by watching robocop and listening to robocop <laughs> that's how committed <laughs> I, I am to talking about clueless is I, I i did the legwork i went and listened to the previous podcast episode about uh, about robocop and now i'm ready to talk about clueless 
didn't watch the movie. So it's going to be interesting, <laughs> is what you're saying. It'd probably be m- me just talking about RoboCop again. You see, what makes this movie different from RoboCop is there's no actual police officers on the premises. Sorry. What was that? Holden, if you're going to continually bring back your Bill Cosby impersonation, we will eventually be canceled. I, I don't. I didn't think that was Bill Cosby. That was my Clint Eastwood impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how that, Clint Eastwood in every movie is like, well, put that gun down, you rabble rouser, you. I got six bullets and I've only shot four. You better watch your butt. Watch. That's cool. That, watch I think you, I'm I'm going to Hollywood with that impersonation. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> clueless. Whatever. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I was not excited to watch it, but I'm excited to talk about it. That's all I ask. Well, I'm glad I could help. Hold on. Are you excited? I'm very excited to talk about Clueless. <laughs> Well, Clueless was released in 1995 and written and directed by Amy Heckerling of um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High fame. I wondered why this movie was a carbon copy of that movie. It's because that's the same director. Uh, um, so Clueless stars Alicia Silverstone, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, and Paul Rudd. Um, My favorite synopsis of the film is Cher, a high school student in Beverly Hills, must survive the ups and downs of adolescent life. Her external demeanor at first seems superficial, but rather it hides her wit, charm, and intelligence, which help her to deal with relationships, friends, family, school, and the all-important teenage social life. The tagline for this movie is sex, clothes, popularity is there a problem here that is Um, is it a problematic tagline especially with the first word because i i know that they i guess they talk about sex a little bit but it's definitely not front and center it's not like there's yeah no there's there's no sex in this movie yeah Yeah. it's like Like the rest of it's pretty pretty on point but i mean even barely i think i think it's just like you gotta hook them you know gotta you gotta i guess because it's yeah. You gotta reel them in. Um, so, like I said, this movie was made and or released in 1995. So let's talk about what else happened in 1995. Sony enters the video game market with the release of the PlayStation. Oh. OJ Simpson was found not guilty of double murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. Watch that on TV. I watched the um, Ryan Murphy American Crime Story version of it on TV. That's really good. I watched the original. I was working my first job in high school at Kentucky Fried Chicken when the news broke in. They interrupted your regularly scheduled program to show OJ driving down the freeway in a white Bronco. Very vividly remember that. So I was probably eating a chicken leg at work. Pretending to work um, when that happened. Yeah, so I remember remember all of that. It was quite the ordeal. Braveheart won Best Picture at the 68th Academy Awards. What's that? The The Academy Awards? No, Braveheart. Uh (laughs) Mel Gibson is referenced a few times in this movie. 
Also in 1995, uh, uh, Tejano singer Selena was shot and killed. Mm. Really tragic event that was really, really tough back then and still is really, really tragic. Yeah. Uh, also, on a very different note, Oasis released their single Wonderwall. Oh, Forever wow. changing the course of history. <laughs> Uh, did it though? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, just making sure. But when I saw it on a list, I was like, I have to include that because well, yeah. that song is the bane of my existence personally. Oh, I feel like there's a story there. John, do you know that anyway? Here's Wonderwall meme. No. So it's like, you know, you're just like chilling at like a party or a kickback or whatever. And there's always some white dude who's like, anyway, here's Wonderwall and just like starts playing Wonderwall on oh. the guitar. And I have witnessed this <laughs> in real life. <laughs> that guy. It is a it is a shared experience by most of humanity. Oh, I can I, I can believe it. Other movies released in 1995 include Toy Story. Oh, wow. Apollo 13. Good one. Pocahontas. Batman Forever. Total garbage. Casper. Jumanji. And GoldenEye. GoldenEye! Speaking of Toy Story, it was the first feature-length film created completely using computer-generated imagery. Um, and it became both a commercial and critical success and is considered by film historians as a significant turning point in film history. Agreed. I personally agree as well. Toy Story? Yes. It changed everything. Changed my childhood. Now now we have Disney Plus. <laughs> Thank you. Holden's always gotta bring us down. What what is your beef with Disney Plus, Holden? It always comes back to capitalism, John. I see. It's a monopoly and they're hoarding they're killing the movie theater. You're I don't know. Well, I can kind of agree with that, but yeah. Great. So I turned two in 1995. Good grief. So obviously I did not watch Clueless when it came out. Um, I would have been watching. What would I have been watching? I'm right there with you. I did not watch this movie when it came <laughs> you out. You didn't. No. What were you doing in 1995? I have no clue <laughs> what I was doing in 1995. I was a uh, junior in high school and clearly much like Little Rascals was not going to watch this movie or that movie. I think because... This movie, in my mind, represented everything that I did not like about high school. Did you go to high school and... I did go to high school. Beverly Hills? Oh, no. Not at all. Bunch of rich kids? These were not the type of kids that I hung out with in high school. Like, sure. I, I guess I would be more akin to Brecken Meyer's character, mm-hmm. Travis Birkenstock. Um, <laughs> but I, I was in art class, and so it was just me and a bunch of art kids just brooding together in the art room. Yeah, my high school was nothing like this at all. So it was just like foreign territory to me. But mm. these clicks, these clicks did uh, exist in the school, and like I, I, I think that that's pretty much the crux of why I avoided this movie. And if nostalgia is such as, is as powerful as I believe it to be, then I, I guarantee you, I carried that that mindset into watching it for the first time at the age of forty two. So nothing about this movie was written for for me. Well. They're it wasn't very created much... for me, which is fine. Um, and now, 25 years later, I'm forced to watch it. And that's okay. <laughs> I forced you. I held you at knife point and said, watch it. Because we have a podcast now. And we sometimes have to talk about movies that we don't think that we would have 
necessarily wanted to talk I about. I never would have watched RoboCop. But I ended up um, appreciating it. So Appreciating it. I will say that I did go on a little bit of a journey with this movie. Emotionally, psychologically. <laughs> I, I, I watched it twice. So <laughs> the first time I watched it, completely hated it. Much to the chagrin of my wife, who this is also one of her favorite movies. She loves this movie. She's been trying to get me to watch this movie for 10 years. <gasps> and I've just always resisted. I think it's just been one of those movies that like, no matter come hell or high water, like I am not going to like it. My mind was made up before seeing this movie. So I brought that narrative baggage into the viewing experience while watching this. And I think that that's probably, you know, did a disservice to, to the experience of watching it with my wife who loved this film. So yeah, the second time I watched it, I started to kind of see things that clearly I did not see before. We can kind of get into that later. That's sort of my, you know, general thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. What about you, Holden? Did you come in with any biases? No, I didn't have any thoughts going in. I just, I knew I had seen the movie poster around before and I'm like, oh, uh, it's a little chick, little chick flick. There it is. I said little it. Little chick flick? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was made in like 2003 though, so I was fairly surprised that it was uh, 1995. Paul Red looks the same. That man has not aged a single day. Not a single day. I do think he wasn't fully cooked in this movie, but... I mean, he eventually became the Paul Rudd that everyone absolutely adores. I don't know right. if he was quite there yet. He is on, you can see that he is on his journey to being the global force that, uh, that Paul Rudd is. Right. And this was his breakout role. Right. This is definitely, I think maybe he's just not, he doesn't have his full legs. His yeah. what, what? He doesn't quite have his full, have his full sea legs. legs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his full legs haven't grown in. He's got baby legs. <laughs> he's got a little tiny baby legs. So yes, uh, uh, this this movie, as we're kind of talking about, it became a cult classic immediately. They they were not expecting this. They were just you know making a movie. And I'm surprised that they were surprised by this movie potentially doing some of the same things because it's very much yeah, as Fast Times was very much in the set in the 80s and very much of its time. This movie is very 90s and very much set. In, I think she's very mm-hmm. very competent at sort of tapping into the 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 young teen zeitgeist of the of the decade. Yeah, so it had a pretty small budget, relatively. And, you know, just, like, absolutely became a runaway hit. It features, you know, like, the ultimate 90s references, fashion. It became a huge... I mean, the fashion is... Most important things in the movie, right? You know, all of a sudden, you see influences from this movie and, you know, on designer runways. And even today, you still see um, a, lot of, a lot of influences. I feel like the guys fashion does not live up to the the female fashion of this movie. Absolutely, because when this movie hit, it was still pretty much in like the grunge era of the 90s. So, you know, a lot of the girls at the time too were wearing, you know, baggy flannels and baggy jeans and Doc Martens. Uh, at the beginning of the film when she has her uh, fashion software or whatever, yes. her clothes picking software, one, I'm sure... People would have really wanted that. I mean, yes. it, it was fun. It doesn't really, it doesn't exist, but it doesn't matter. <clears throat> However, I did notice that her picture in the computer, she has a very sour look on her face. And I don't, I didn't really, I thought that was an interesting choice. Like, I, well, she seems very unhappy to be uh, dressed in by the computer. I, I did not notice that. <laughs> <clears throat> That's funny. I think because I, I, I think because at this point in my, in watching it, like it's straight out of the gate, it very much, they, they, 
mentioned the fact that it's like, is this a Noxzema commercial? I was like, yes, it very much is a Noxzema commercial <laughs> of a movie. And so I was already in this moment, like I'm hypercritical. So everything I'm pointing out every little thing that like, well, this, this is dumb. That's dumb. She's in a computer program. She looks unhappy. She should be happy. She has all these wonderful clothes. Like what, you know? So I think, uh, I hadn't quite <laughs> reached that <laughs> stage in the, the movie watching experience where I started to turn the corner. Oh, so this was a, like a breakout movie for several of the stars, including Paul Rudd, um, Brittany Murphy, also her fish, first big role, and Donald Faison, who I love from Scripps. Um, I think I think three of the strongest characters in the movie. Yeah, I'm a huge Brittany Murphy fan. Um, so <clears throat> this, you know, movie was ah yes, obviously. So successful that they had to make it into a TV show, which was not oh, successful. Course. Big surprise. <laughs> and then also one of the reasons why I picked this movie at this time is because this whole quote unquote Y2K Bug. is making a huge resurgence today oh. thanks to TikTok. So now all of a sudden girls are going out and buying, you know, tight little T-shirts and mini skirts and plaid and getting their flip phones and knee high socks. It's it's. I think TikTok will be the undoing of us all. <laughs> I, I think I would like to go back to the flip phone. I'm I'm a little Get tired the dumb of the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hold tired on of too. my my phone knowing everything that I'm doing at all hours of the day. Don't get the vaccine because you'll get microchipped. You'll get five G microchipped into your blood veins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blood veins. Is that the is that the new Q uh, conspiracy theory? Yeah. yeah, it's that they're making us all tell cell towers. Oh, that'd be cool. We're b- walking meat cell towers. Little, just a bunch of low-jacked people walking around. I think that's the subplot of what's happening in Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it. It's all there. Um, it's just right below the surface. Okay, so Holden, before I so rudely cut you off, you were asking John what that moment was. I don't remember what I was asking. You were asking him what the moment was that turned him off to the rest of the movie. So what oh, was it? Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, think yeah. this is an unfortunate reason to be turned off to the movie, but it kind of speaks volumes about me. <laughs> um, and it has everything to do with Radiohead. Oh, John. To me, Radiohead is the greatest band that's ever lived on the face of the planet. And sure. I, that's just how I feel about it. They're, they're amazing. They are, in my mind, they are true artists. Uh, this is like a, a superficial teen movie, right? And and here we are within five to ten minutes of this movie, we are inserting fake plastic trees from the bins into the soundtrack when sh- when we're first introduced to Josh. Yuck. Uh, the maudlin music of the university station. Wow, wow, wow. What is it about college and private music? I think hey. at that point I turned to Tiffany and was like, I hate this movie. Ah, uh, okay. John. I know it's it's a silly reason, but that I just hold them in such high esteem that I felt like there was just the movie trying to just clamor for street cred to some to some degree, and it it really turned me off. Now, is that a good reason? Absolutely not. <laughs> Have I come around a little bit to why it might be there? Absolutely, and we can discuss that later. But that I feel like to me is kind of the whole point of this movie is like to look beyond the superficial. And we've kind of talked about this with other movies as well. This movie specifically, that is the main takeaway from this movie is to look beyond the superficial. And it wasn't until the second watch that like that kind of started to click in for me because I was so ready to sort of 
take in the super superficial entrappings of this movie of just like materialism, whatever you would call share in her click, right? Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever their click would be. I didn't like those, those kids in high school. When you're in high school, there is nothing more. You don't look deeper. Everything is superficial. And I think that that's kind of the point of this movie is like until Cher on her journey through the movie has a very superficial understanding of the world until something kind of finally clicks in for you. And I think that that's kind of the point and that's the strength of the movie. So I felt I was trapped by that. And as soon as they needle dropped fake plastic trees, (laughs) one of the greatest songs ever written, like I was like this, I'm, I'm done with this movie already. And we're just 10 minutes in. And then like, because my mindset for that first viewing was like, I'm, I, I'm, I don't like this movie. Every time they did a Radiohead drop, it sort of solidified my distaste for the movie. And only because they did of how multiple I, Radiohead drops. They did three. Actually, it's they did on four. brand for you to uh, have some distaste because of some Radiohead. Very on brand. Yeah, it's not. It's not fair at all. Um, it's just where I'm at. You know emotionally in my life well i love that you had that realization like and i it's love that so small it i don't it wasn't like oh this movie's written terribly these actors are terrible uh this is cut weird it wasn't anything <laughs> like that it was like who are these people who do they <laughs> who do they think they're kidding I didn't even realize it was Radiohead. Gotta be honest. Wow. I'm so sorry. I've betrayed the so soundtrack many. jams. There was a clueless soundtrack. All the all the songs that really work are not from the '90s. The band is from the '90s, but I feel like it doesn't work because Radiohead is awesome in this movie. <laughs> Can't live up to that. But it doesn't have the same amount of artistic integrity as Radiohead. That's not mm-hmm. fair. Totally, mm. totally get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other cool songs are like from the seventies, like all the David Bowie drops, like the, all the young dude, or is it all the young dudes? That's from the seventies. Fashion is from the eighties. So, mm-hmm. um, oh, and then that sick track from Counting Crows, <laughs> <laughs> Ghost in You, and the Boston's. Of course, you had to have the, the mighty mighty you Boston's. Had the at mighty Boston's at the party. Yeah, I do wish that that it that the soundtrack would have lived a little bit more in the, in the nineties uh, and not sort of mm. pulled from, from earlier decades. And I wish it would have kind of stuck more in the nineties, um, mm, which is why. Yeah. Anyways, that was a really long explanation. I'm so sorry. No, that's great. Cause I, I had that in my discussion notes down towards the bottom. Um, my question was, is there a message here or is it just all good superficial fun? I, I think it's good that we started there because like, again, I didn't want to just sit here with a frown on my face for the entire podcast like talking about something that i hated so i wanted to give it another chance and i wanted to like try to see the benefits and the merits of it and i want to be a better person you two have made me want to be better you had me at hello (laughs) so does this mean holden's next movie you'll be nicer about or maybe i just don't want people to drag me in the comment section of our (laughs) podcast no it just means i have to shit on this yeah no wait no I mean, you've deserved, you've deserved the right because we basically attacked an innocuous children's movie called B Movie. Just because I will, I will own that. I did do that. I was not. I I enjoyed Under the Silver Lake. That was all you, John. But I will yeah. own B Movie. Yeah, I did that. But yeah, but you cut. You come out of the gate. And you're like, I liked it. I liked. It. I enjoyed watching it. And then you're like, but. <laughs> I enjoyed watching B movie. It had some very funny parts and well written. And well, so I was reminded that the whole point we started this podcast was for us to learn something about ourselves and like be open to yeah. And 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 I was completely 
falling into the sort of stereotypical, you know, cliche movie review sort of entrapments like, yeah, this this movie's a shit show and here's why. And so <laughs> I decided to watch this movie again because I, you know, I wanted to I wanted to change. I wanted it to be, be best, as Melania would say. Be so <laughs> I thought I owed it. No. To not only the two of you, but to everyone that listens to this podcast, that we are, we are here to bring joy to the world, not just another echo chamber of callousness and hate. Yeah, that kicker light was a little too hot. Like movie yeah. criticism is like, we have to hate everything. And I think that that sort of misses the point of why we love movies is, nah, I'm going to take that back because you don't have to love all movies. but <laughs> You you have to. Or I can't like go into depth on a movie like Karate Kid or RoboCop in the effort to sort of make you understand why it's good and then turn around and like completely block like a movie like Clueless and go, nope, it's not a good movie. No one should watch it. It's not very fair of me to do that. So right. I want to be open to these, more open to these than I have potentially been in the past. I feel like we're watching The Grinch's Heart grow three sizes. And that has been the arc of our 10 episode Little did our listeners know they were going to get sideswiped by John's state of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Every 10 episodes, we just need to address, you know, our union. I'm sure I'll be apologizing for things in the future as well. So sorry, Maddie. I've totally, totally commandeered your, uh, your, your, your episode. I apologize. No, that's great because this is literally like what I was going to try to generate discussion about. And I love that you've already come to this conclusion before I had to beat it into you. (laughs) Um, Here's a (laughs) sentence that I wrote. Men on the Internet just don't get it and get off on hating anything women and girls love. Yes, this is probably going to be a small rant. I completely agree with that sentiment. And I was guilty of it as well. If you look at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes reviews, just like normal people off the street reviews, only men have a poor rating of the movie. And they always say, it's superficial. This was an hour and a half of misery. They never have a good reason. They never have a good reason for not liking it. Uh, Well, I'm guilty (laughs) of this and I have several informed reasons. (laughs) 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 We know we kind of saw that with Under the Silver Lake, right? Where people said this is a misogynistic movie without really kind of, and I don't like using it. You didn't understand the movie. I think that that's such a, 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 it's such a silly retort, but I do think that that's very similar to this. Like, yeah. Right. That you have seen... The superficial. Right, the superficial. The same thing that they're critiquing. Exactly. So this is satirical as much as RoboCop is satirical. No, I don't think it's satire. I just think that the character's journey is to sort of find deeper meaning in life outside of the superficial materialistic things in life. So if you're if you're writing a review saying that this is materialistic and superficial, you've actually missed the point of the movie altogether and you're a terrible movie critic. Yeah, I mean, you're falling into the trap that you're criticizing this movie of falling into. But but that in general is also an indictment on movie criticism as it stands right now and how everyone has a voice and everyone has a platform and not everyone can actually write critically about movies, myself included. And and beyond that, even if, even if this movie didn't have of deeper meaning. We have so many coming of age stories for men. And like you said, this is a film featuring a female protagonist. And you know, this is the main characters are female. Why can we not have a coming of age story for women and girls? What are you talking about? We gave you 13 going on 30. 
Okay. Jennifer Garner is not enough. No, but I'm just saying, like, it, does it have to have this, like, profound, deep meaning to be valuable? Why can we not have just, like, a, can, why can't we have a movie? You know, just, like, give it, let us have it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. You should totally have it. Anyway. I feel like that that's perhaps what this podcast is all about. And my criticism of, you know, the current state of how people discuss movies, especially either on YouTube or uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, or TikTok or whatever, <laughs> whatever the kids are using. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's too easy. Yeah. Well, I'm on the fence about this because I feel like people should be able to voice, but I think it should be notably different from a seasoned veterans voice versus personal I didn't like this, which is, I feel like what the difference between Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes is. I love being able to see what people think about something, but I also want to see, I don't know. Also just like, I don't give a, also critics, fuck them. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everyone should know. I started talking and I was just like, I don't even care. I don't care. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I felt probably a little bit like an old man telling everyone to get off their yard. And what was the critical response of this? It was fairly positive, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I want to say that Roger Ebert was um, really positive about it, if I remember correctly. Uh, can he gave it three and a half stars, which is good from Roger Ebert for him. Yeah, I mean it's written and directed by a woman, which I was happy to see that. I mean. And I think you can tell. I think you would have been able to tell if this was a movie made by a man. It just, it would have felt weird. Right. There would have been sex. Yes, <laughs> there's that. Just would have been um, all side boob and no, uh, yeah, no actual growth. Yeah, exactly. Oh, she wrote the show too. Um, so something interesting that I didn't know until, um, you know, back when I first watched, I didn't know this. But this movie is a modern take on a Jane Austen book, Emma. I feel like this is very on brand for you as well. Mm-hmm. I d- am like having a personal like epiphany that <laughs> my brand is, in fact, modern retellings of classic stories. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> did not realize that until now. But yeah, every movie I've chosen has been like a, some kind of retelling. Yeah, and I think I kind of fall into that as well. I mean, not specifically that, but I feel like there's a through line through the movies that I like too. Well, they're all from the '80s, John. Well, beyond that, I think that <laughs> I think that uh, there's a a kind of an underdog sensibility to all mm, the movies I've yeah. chosen so far. Which I, I like it when they remake Bible stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh Sorry. man, I love it. Holden, what's what's your what's your uh He's hard to nail down, man. I mean thing? he's just uh he's Mine's like so a, diverse in his sensibilities. I don't know, actually. You can't pin him down. About it. He's a free spirit. Wild card. I I like a, like a real personal character driven story laced with like a little bit of like otherworldly conspiracyness. So like that aligns with Under the Silver Lake is like this is a very real thing that could happen and it's based on real things that do happen but there's this little air of nonsense that's kind of it's touched with and it, it gives it the fiction and with b-movie you know bees are real <laughs> and they exist and the the fictional aspect of it is that they talk and can file lawsuits and uh form romantic relationships 
Nice. <laughs> still don't think I still don't think it was a romantic. Anywho. No, I feel like you're very like Hitchcockian, Stephen King universe. And and then Nacho Libre, Hot Rod, and B movie. Which are underdog stories, which is why mm. I love them. Maybe mm. everyone loves an underdog. I don't want to put us all in a little box, but I have noticed that we have brands. Yeah, this is the... How many movies have you done? Four? This is your fourth movie? This is my fourth movie. And they've all been repurposed classics. I said this last night. I said, I can look at the list of movies that we've done. I can look at all 10 and I can tell which movies are Maddie's, which movies are mine, and which movies are yours. I think that's a good thing. Well, I think that's what what makes this work is that we all have very different tastes and different preferences and different experiences you know i'm the only one that's right you're the only one that's right Mm. and uh we're here to learn from the great wizard from the (laughs) master i am the miyagi to your daniel sons Mm. you're welcome well then we have gotten requests for you to watch cobra kai so that we can yeah multiple requests for me to watch cobra kai yeah you're the only one of us who hasn't seen it and people want to hear they want to hear oh that's gonna keep it off my list Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's my brand, is I like things that people don't like. There you I, go. I, oh, there pur- you go. I purposefully go against the grain, even if I don't know why I'm doing it. The whole so hipster thing is... if people tell me to watch Cobra Kai, I don't want to watch it now. I can relate to that, because I feel like that that was sort of my whole stance coming into Clueless, right? Everyone was like, you're going to love it. This is a great movie. You're going to have a great time. And I was like, you don't know me. They don't know me. Don't hey, tell me. Don't being, tell me how to live my life. Being a hipster, the whole hipster thing is like so five years ago. Oh, but she doesn't say hipster. She says uh, slacker. She says slacker. I don't remember what she says. I just remember five years ago. She just tied us and we didn't even catch it. So the director, Amy Heckerling, was tasked with writing a movie and uh, about high schoolers uh, set in the 90s. And she was like, okay, well, I love Jane Austen's Emma. That's one of my favorite books from when I was younger. So she wrote an updated version. Um, It takes a lot of the same plot lines. It has the same spoiled, quote unquote, rich matchmaking protagonist uh, with a mother who died when they were young and she has to take over the household. One of the main plot points of Emma is that she tries to pair her new BFF, which would be the Ty character, the Brittany Murphy character, um, with a man named Mr. Elton and the character in Clueless oh. is named Elton. Yeah, I did not um, like him. I did not care for Elton. No. Dude, he's his deep he's voice. a high-key creep pretty early on. I mean, you you already get caught off guard to his character because there's like a montage scene. They like get their grades back or something and he reaches over and kisses Cher. Mm-hmm. He's all over her. And, we're, and you're just like, where did that guy come from? Yeah. I don't what, know if I had seen him before. Did but. he get good grades and he was thanking Cher or just, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the montage no where she was, you know, she had gotten the teachers together, which is also. Oh, that's right. I thought it was earlier than that. So then another major plot point that's the same is that Emma, the main character, realizes she's in love with her friend and sister's brother-in-law, which is the Josh Paul Rudd character, after her her new friend slash project decides that she likes him. And she's like, no way, I'm in love with him. But in Emma, he's 16 years older. I think that was a pretty standard age gap, though, at that time. I don't know when Jane Austen wrote novels. Yeah, I mean, it was like... 18, I'm guessing it was the 1700s. 
<laughs> well, it was written in the 1800s. I don't know. I'm very uncultured, um, but I have seen. Uh, I did Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Thank you. Did you watch Bridgerton? When they all come to court, or whatever, what, yeah, where they have their coming out party, or whatever they call it, and they're all 14 years old, and there's just a bunch of 80 year old men, just like, oh, I'm gonna marry that 14 year old. Yeah. Gross. <gasps> Who is Jane Austen? Let me walk. To- <laughs> <laughs> Holden's asking the big question today. <laughs> what is this story? <laughs> Why is Jane Austen? <laughs> so moving on, I want to talk about some of the characters. Uh, namely, I want to talk about is Cher as vapid as she seems? Obviously, we've kind of touched on this arc that she goes on. But even in the beginning, um, I just think she's a fun kind of layered character. And I'm wondering if you all... Feel the same way. I had this thought watching this movie. There's this class of people whose lives are so drastically different from yours and mine, whose luxuries are just taken for granted because it's how they have constructed their lives. Like her father. Hi, Daddy. This is my friend Ty. Get out of my chair. His life is so in a stratosphere that is completely foreign to us. Isn't my house classic? The columns date all the way back to 1972. Wasn't my mom a Betty? She died when I was just a baby. A fluke accident during a routine liposuction. I don't remember her, but I like to pretend she still watches over me. What was your question? (laughs) Is she as vapid as she seems? Even, you know, not even including her arc at the beginning. Is she... (laughs) Yeah, she... I think she's vapid... Because the crux of the movie is that she realizes that she is clueless. She has been the clueless one to be like so focused in on getting these different boys or doing this, making over this different person that she has become clueless to what she really wants to do. The reason I started talking about her father was because I think there was no other circumstances in her life to give her the ability to not be vapid because... Like she gets a car bought for her and she doesn't necessarily have to worry about driving without a license at 15. What the hell? Yeah, you're getting on the freeway. What? No, turn right. Oh, get out of the lane. Freeway. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Forget the procedure. Just oh. get out of the lane. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. Oh. 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 What do I do? Yo, go straight. Go straight. Go straight. Go straight. Something has taught her in life that it's okay to do that. So I think that she's vapid that's that's a note that i made too like how else was she supposed to turn out when this is her life and i don't think it's just an indictment of her like i don't think it means that we're supposed to shit and and hate her and like not agree with and align with what she's trying to do i think it it's what makes her maybe a little bit more sympathetic is that she has some open no yeah no i agree (laughs) i don't think i don't think she is um I think she likes what she likes and she's very passionate about the things that she likes. And I think that that's okay. I think that that's what her world is about. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, but I think she has a little bit more depth than that. I think she's a bit, I mean, she is very intelligent. She is very driven. And eventually, you know, she does have her journey, you know, to sort of realize that there's something more to it all. I, I do think that it's an, a little unfortunate that it just happens to be centered around finding love or finding a boyfriend. Um, but, you know, she does eventually see the value of things beyond sort of the materialistic. 
you know, when she's making over ties, not just appearance, but, you know, she she's talking then about, okay, now we got to do something good for humanity. Hey, you know about this stuff. I want to do something good for humanity. How about sterilization? <laughs> so what do you think? I'm amazed. That I'm devoting myself so generously to someone else? No, that you found someone even more clueless than you are to worship you. I'm rescuing her from teenage hell. Do you know? And it's very wholesome because you're like, okay, you, I don't think you realize what that even means. But she does at least have an awareness that she's supposed to be a good person and doing good right. things for someone other than herself. Yeah, and you can tell very early on in her relationship with her father, who is played as this kind of, which, by the way, my favorite character in the whole movie, very cantankerous. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> yeah, but not because he's. It just seems angry. I just love Dan Hedaya, and I think that he does a really great job in that role. Daddy's a litigator. Those are the scariest kinds of lawyers. Even Lucy, our maid, is terrified of him. And Daddy's so good, he gets $500 an hour to fight with people. But he fights with me for free because I'm his daughter. Daddy! Cher, please, don't start with the juice again. Daddy, you need your vitamin C. Where's my briefcase? It's been a couple months now, so I said we'd go out to Malibu. Don't tell me those brain-dead lowlifes have been calling again. They are your parents. So yeah, you can see the more positive aspects of her character pretty quickly. This world around her is just the things that she likes and cares about. And when you're 16, yeah, that's what you do, right? Yeah. Um, you don't think deeper about things. In, in some cases, you don't look beyond the things that are right in front of your face. And I think that that's pretty true to what a 16-year-old would look at. Holden's raising his hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have just read the definition of vapid. <laughs> And I want to change my answer because I don't think she is offering nothing that is stimulating or challenging. Would superficial be a better word? Yeah, I, I guess so. I think that it depends on what you what your tastes are, right? If you don't see any value in the things that she likes, that you might think that she is vapid. But that is more of an indictment on your interpretation of this person because you're yeah. not looking beyond that. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately I can't think of a better word than superficial to sort of, you know, explain that. That's the, that's the hard line that this movie rides is like what we talked about, even with Robocop is that it, uh, that's why I brought up that it is being a little satirical. It's embracing something that can be taken two different ways. It can be taken on the surface level. If you don't align with anything that Cher is doing, if you align with the way that Ty uh, dropped into this movie the way that she was, the way that her hair was cut, the way it was colored, the things that she liked. If you aligned with that type of person and then the main character wants to change you, you're not going to like right. this movie from a surface level. <clears throat> but if you give it the benefit of the doubt and you watch it understanding these undertones and that it's a commentary, that it's a satire, then I feel like you come at this with a different perspective and that's where these two lines run right kind of up next to each other. I completely agree with that sentiment. I would have probably been more interested and wanted to hang out with the tie before her makeover versus the tie after her makeover. So yeah, I completely can see why you can look at that and go, you should want to be friends with her because of who she is, not because of who you can make her into. Mm -hmm. Again, that's just why if you don't make it past that point in the movie, you're going to miss everything that comes after that. Yeah. And we keep bringing it back to RoboCop because maybe these two movies are closer than we realize. 
people miss the point of the satire of RoboCop because mm-hmm. they just think it's a, a, a super violent action film and don't see the deeper meaning or the people miss the point of fight club. I think people, the general populace will miss the point on a first viewing. You, it is, and that's the unfortunate part about how maybe that's the unfortunate part of the movie watching experience is that you might just miss the point and that's okay. And one of the great things about the character of Ty, I think is that she doesn't completely change. You know, even no, she after doesn't. she's been given her makeover, she still, you know, is into Travis, the super... <laughs> she still looks the way she does, but she now... She talks the same way. Still, yeah. yeah. And she's still singing the, the Mentos commercial. She's still tripping downstairs. She's still getting hit in the head with shoes, which is yeah. hilarious. Yeah, she doesn't change. <laughs> she doesn't change much. She's just now visually acceptable to the people that care about, you know, being visually acceptable. Mentos. Okay, so the I really dove deep into the whole casting process, and Alicia Silverstone did not have to audition for this movie. the um, The original casting person and the director saw her. I think one of them saw her in the, one of the Aerosmith music videos, yeah, and then the those. other one saw her in what was that movie? Her first movie, I don't remember. But they both were like, "Oh my god, this is Cher." Yeah. And came together and were like, wait, that's who I was thinking. And they auditioned a bunch of other girls. They auditioned Reese Witherspoon. They thought about Angelina Jolie, which would have been a completely different movie. Not even, not even. Yeah, too small. She's too smoldery. And they knew that's why they didn't even have her audition. They were like, mm, wait, no. Yeah. Um, I, I think some else. people are just born for certain roles and she's definitely born for this one. And I think that this was perhaps the limit of her range. Yeah. But that's how perfect she is for this role. Right. Yeah, I agree. I do not think she's a a particularly talented actor. And it's probably because, you know, when she was cast in Batman and Robin as uh, Batgirl, we all knew. I knew. Oh. At that point. (laughs) Sorry. That movie was in. that That movie is hot garbage and she's terrible in it. That's the Batman movie I grew up on. Oh, boy. That's the worst Batman movie ever made. But, yeah, I have all of the... T- yeah, all those toys. But going back to Brittany Murphy, because we have to, I think easily just like one of the most talented actresses of this generation. And when she died, I mean, that was a huge loss. I think so, too. I think you can definitely see her, the charisma. I, th- I mean, she is she's easily the most engaging uh, character in this movie. Well, and she had uh, definitely at this point before her career took off. I mean, she had that kind of wholesome, unassuming, eager quality. So when yeah. she walked into the casting room, they were like, she totally embodies this, you know, really the, cool. the, some so many of the characteristics of the character where she's just, you know, she just is she's very earnest. Yeah. Every time she was on screen, I was watching her. I was watching her more than I was watching anyone else. And I think she didn't even have to be talking I really liked watching what she was doing just in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt expressive. that what, yeah, I thought she was just doing all the heavy lifting, even when she wasn't talking. Okay. So we've talked about Cher. We've talked about Ty. What about good old Josh, Mr. Paul Rudd, the ageless wonder. Mm. Oh, wow. You're filling out there. Oh, wow. Your face is catching up with your mouth. I went by dad's office. He is not your dad. Why don't you torture a new family? Hey, just because my mother marries someone else doesn't mean he's my father. 
Actually, Cato, that's exactly what it means. I hope you're not thinking of staying here. <laughs> I sure want to. I'm sure you do. I got a place in Westwood near school. Shouldn't you go to school on the East Coast? I hear girls at NYU aren't all particular. <laughs> you're funny. What's your problem, baby? How do we feel? <sighs> he was reading Friedrich Nietzsche. Ni- he, he was reading Nietzsche. Right. Nietzsche. That, you said yes. that right? He was. Nietzsche. If, Nietzsche. Right. He was reading Nietzsche growing a... Goatee, Goatee. If you would have put him in a coffee shop surrounded by three other guys, you would have had a, a hat trick. Not frat, yeah. but... Um, he looked like he owned a MacBook Pro. I mean, he was the ultimate cynical, pretentious hipster, bleeding heart. Yeah, so his... I would call it a meet cute, but they were step-siblings. So every time we see him, it's Radiohead or Counting Crows. Yeah. The movie is painting his actions as potentially pretentious. I don't think that he is pretentious. Well, she does wind up getting with him. So are they then validating his taste? No, I I mean, I think this movie is playing with stereotypes, right? So like, Mm -hmm. so they're clearly going to play a stereotype with him as being like coffee house college kid, right? He's her opposite. I mean, they're, you know, they're... Yeah, I really would have, I really would have seen him with Ty than with Cher. Right. Well, 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 I think we're supposed to. Paula, if if we've learned anything from Paula Abdul, it's that opposites attract. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Paula. When I first watched the movie, I thought that their relationship was unearned. I thought that it was just, they were just getting together for the sake of the movie. And because this was a a Jane Austen uh, carbon copy. Mm -hmm. On the second watch, you do notice that when they are together, their guard is down. And as the movie progresses, you do see that they are their most naturalistic when they are together. So the casting process for him, I mean, took a long time. Ben Affleck was up for the role, which again, I would have absolutely hated their relationship. <laughs> I That's my bias. I'm My bias is Ben Affleck sucks. Oh, come but, on. The town. But, have you seen the town? No, I don't. I don't. It's oh, a good man. movie. It's so good. Great movie. I I have trouble separating the person from their art. Yeah. Oh, and they have that movie has a lot of problematic people in it now, right? Jeremy Renner. Oh, John Hamm. John Hamm's a, a a doll. But that that like young like green quality to Paul Rudd, I think, is what makes his character so endearing. You know, yeah. the fact that he's not quite on top of his acting game yet, I think, kind of lends itself to the the role. Again, similar to Brittany Murphy. I mean, he he just has this young boyish quality that's really endearing. He has not aged at all. And I don't know what virgin blood he's drinking out there in, in Hollyweird. He's about 25 years away from his crypt with his uh, harem of virgins. Mm. <laughs> yep. Calling oh, it back. Man. Um, For those so of you I'll, who did not listen to the Under Silver Lake <laughs> episode, um, that was a callback. I want to talk a little bit more about the relationship because the first time I watched this movie, I was utterly disgusted <laughs> and very confused by the fact that they ended up together. What am I stressing about? This is like Josh. Okay, okay. So he's kind of a Baldwin. What would he want with Ty? She could make him happy. Josh needs someone with imagination, someone to take care of him, someone to laugh at his jokes, in case he ever makes any. Then suddenly, oh my God. I love Josh. I am majorly, totally, but crazy in love with Josh. I didn't feel that 
way the second time around. I don't know why the first time I was so opposed to it. There are a lot of people who are because they feel it's kind of incesty. But I mean, they were technically step siblings at one point, right? Right. But it's implied that it was a very short amount of time. And it's very clear that they do not have much of a relationship at the beginning of the movie. You know, it's not like they see each other as brother and sister. Right. So early in the movie, they're like, you're not my actual sister. I was like, they're getting together. <laughs> hey, I'm from Arkansas. So I got a lot oh, of cousins no. cousins marrying cousins. So I don't <laughs> think this, it's not blood. They're not blood related. I think no. that. Right. It feels, it feels a little gray area-y to me, but. I don't, I don't think it's weird. I think um, their relationship was just two adults signing a contract. They're, they don't have any blood relation. Right. Really. So right, I feel right, like, right. I feel like that's why to me it doesn't. It doesn't feel weird. No. And I'd like to say, if, if any of my family is listening, um, we do not have cousins marrying cousins in our family. I, that was just a joke. For legal reasons, he was joking. <laughs> I have to say that. I've been told. <laughs> I just got a letter from the lawyer saying I should probably say that. Just now. Um, so Paul Rudd's character is a freshman in college, right? So he's 18 or 19. Uh-huh. Cher is underage. To me, that's where the gray area comes in, is that she's a minor and he is not. And they're not far apart in age. You know, they're right. not 16 years apart. There's a little bit of a moral gray area there. I don't know how to answer that, because like as soon as there's a certain threshold crossed, that age gap is not that big of a deal. Right. Of course, that is not what struck me way back when I first watched it, right? But now I'm like, yeah. okay. I mean, it would certainly be a different deal if he was 25, 30. You know, then it would be like, okay, that's grooming. That's, I mean, that's a whole, that's very clearly a, a lines have been crossed. If he was Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused, just perpetually hanging out at high school yeah. parties. Right. Yeah. Like his relationship with her is a little bit more organic, even though it was sort of derived from a previous marriage. But, you know, I think that that's more of a testament to Dan Hedaya's character that he saw value in an ex-wife's child and still wants him around. So I think that that's kind of the real point that we're missing here. Is you divorce that, the wife, not the child. Exactly. He still he, he still wanted him around, and yeah. I think that that uh, I think that that's uh, good for you, Dan Hadea. I think this movie is funny. You know, some some men will try to say that this movie is not funny, but I laughed the whole way through. This movie right. is funny. I'm a man, and I will say that. Thank you. I I think it's funny too. I think that I think people approach movie watching differently. Right. Well, and it, and it can be hard to let go of biases. I mean, I walked into B-moving knowing I greatly dislike Jerry Seinfeld, so of course I was going <laughs> to find things wrong with the movie, you know? And I, and I walked into B-moving knowing that Holden chose it, so it was probably going to be a huge dumpster fire. <gasps> I'm just kidding. It's worse that he didn't respond. <laughs> it is way worse that he didn't respond. That silence. <laughs> He's just painful. staring blankly at us. No, that was a joke. Our whole relationship came about because we both discovered within five minutes of meeting each other that we both loved Nacho Libra and uh, Hot Rod. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> Nacho Libra. Nacho Virgo. Every time. Libre. Libre. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You can say it now. I am a Libra. I was born in September. I am Are a Libra. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, I can see it. Oh, what does that mean? Not, wow. <laughs> I'm not I'm not an astrology girl. I know very little about it. I can talk to you about personality tests all day long, but this whole 
it's kind of been called the Y2K era. So the late 90s, which this ushered in, and the early 2000s is totally having a comeback right now, especially with um, Zoomers. And I just feel like one of those uh, What's old... A zoom? What's a Zoomer? Gen Z. Gen Z. Oh. John, you're learning so much from me. I'm learning so much. Well, and see, Holden and I are both born in the 90s, but it's hard to it's hard to identify as a 90s kid when you were so young for most of it. So I'm from the Midwest. And so every trend, every fashion, um, it reaches the Midwest last. You know, all these things I was saying and I was wearing, you know, well into the 2000s. Kansas City, right? Yeah. The flyover states. This movie is like maybe one of the most quotable, quoted movies ever. Not more quotable than B-movie? No, not, <laughs> definitely more quotable. Do you like um, jazz? Like jazz, you man? like jazz? <laughs> iconic. So probably the most iconic phrase from this movie was... Ow! Get off of me! Ugh, as if! That didn't come earlier with the whole like uh, Valley Girl Heathers sort of 80s thing? Was that... So what I read, because I did research this movie oh. uh writer and director amy heckerling um got it from the gay community oh she added it it was her creation yeah oh that's pretty cool i, I thought maybe this was something that was already existing she heard it being said but from yeah from community. a totally different community so then she wrote it into the movie and it, appropriation you know, became, oh yeah. boy <laughs> let's dig into that uh, one of my favorites oh my is when she refers to Josh as a total Baldwin, because you know this was the height of you right. know the Baldwin brothers, the Billy hotness. Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin. I, that doesn't age as well. They did not age as well as Paul Rudd did. Let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can't say it's a total Rudd. It doesn't work as well. No. Whew. Anyway, um, so the whole um, whatever with the with the with the hands. The our our listeners can't see what I'm doing with my hands, but if you are a millennial, you know what I'm doing with my hands. Um, that comes early on in the movie. That I mean, I did that all through elementary school. It was very cool because of this movie. No, but I mean, I like entered the zeitgeist. I don't know if it was around before or if this just really popularized it, but totally a thing. Um, this is a fun little tidbit I saw. We're about to get into the trivia section. But during the film, there are 53 different kinds of tartan, tartan, tartan plaid, seven of which are worn by Cher and 12 by other major characters. So there's lots of plaid, lots of mini skirts, lots of knee high socks and Mary Janes. I mean, just the height of coolness. And like I said, this came during the grunge area. So when area, area. grunge area. <laughs> The area that was populated by the grunge. Right. That little marked off square <laughs> in Seattle that you could stand in and be grunge. The area. It was a safe space for grunge people. <laughs> so this came in and it just blew it up for, for girls fashion at the time. Lots of little hair clips, lots of pigtails. Again, a staple from my childhood. Um, and then one of my favorites, this was, I was not cool when I was young. That came much later. Um <laughs> She has two different outfits where it's like a little t-shirt, short sleeve t-shirt, and then she wears like a camisole over it. I did that, again, all through elementary school. It was hmm. super cool to see that in this movie. I was like, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah, Tiffany was telling me that she she would wear outfits that were very similar yeah. to the outfits worn in this movie, and uh, I think that it definitely influenced her as well. So that's that's everything I have. I have some trivia. 
Holden, do you have any final thoughts on Clueless? You've been kind of quiet over there. I know yeah. I have. Why come? I had the chance to talk. Are you? Oh, what? Who's your favorite character? My favorite character is Mr. Wendell Hall. Should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America? Amber will take the composition. Cher will be pro. Cher? The teacher. <gasps> Wallace Shawn. Played by Wallace Shawn. You wanna he- Inconceivable. You want to hear a fun fact? Well, two fun yes. facts. The role was written for him. I believe and it. Um, I think every movie should have a role written for Wallace Shawn. Yeah, he's great. Uh, so Wallace Shawn and Twink Kaplan um, yes. as Mr. Hall and Miss Geist were a pretty great couple for this movie. The perfect couple. So also the part of Mr. Hall was based on a real Beverly Hills High teacher. They went and observed some Beverly Hills High classes and he was based on a real teacher who I guess was a friend of the director and writer. And as a favor, she gave the real teacher, her Paul, the part of the school principal, which oh. I do not remember there being a school principal. Yeah, he walked Brittany Murphy out to the field and was like, we have another one for you. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, that was that was the real Mr. Hall. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I was just wondering if we were going to talk about maybe some of the more like problems problematic areas Ooh, lay them out for us holden of the film lay lay them out here's here's a problematic i can think of one off the top of my head okay go so i thought dion and murray's relationship was a little bit on the uh toxic side Mm. dion and her boyfriend murray are in this dramatic relationship i think they've seen that ike and tina turner movie just too many times now I have to say to her, Dee, why do you put up with it? You could do so much better. Oh, no, shh, shh, here he comes. Shoot. Woman, why don't you be answering any of my pages? I hate when you call me woman. Where you been all weekend? What's up? You jeeping behind my back? Uh, they were the only functional couple in the film. Murray was clearly cheating on Dion and also just calling her woman. Well, but you know, uh, street slang is an increasingly valid form of expression. Most of the feminine pronouns do have mocking but not necessarily misogynistic overtones. Oh, pulling it out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't memorize that. I actually have it written down. That's a great one. He had a he had a weave in his car. You see this Oh, yeah. Okay. She used a synthetic Let me weave. just say that this is very much stuff that you would see in any movie about any high school movie in any period he very much was of the kind of a different culture you know he was embracing a different culture than dion was dion was like you know beverly hills royalty and then you have murray who's very much into the street slang and the he was embracing another a very different you know aspect of the 90s you know a very different culture of the 90s and you 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 did posit this question um we haven't talked about it but is Cher smart um Holden, what do you think? I think we learned that she is through her speech classes. She's talking about the Haitians, right? The and Hadians. how they need to come the how they need to yeah, the Hadians and how they need to come to America, but everyone's complaining about the fact that we don't have resources. And she talks about the redistribution of wealth, but she talks about it in this analogy of planning a house party. Okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? 
I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that like did not RSVP. So I was like totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like the more the merrier. And so if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Thank you very much. And so I thought that was pretty smart. It's disguised, right? It's disguised because she calls them Hadians. But she gets a C. And she... Well, but yeah, but when you look deeper, you're like, oh, that actually isn't good argument. And the ability of someone to make an analogy like that, apply it to a real life situation is actually like quite high level. So, yes, she is. I think there's no better example of her intelligence than that moment, mm-hmm. because everything that she does is to take everything in her immediate surrounding and she uses that. Uh, to and, and and not again manipulate manipulates probably not the right word but probably highly indicative of a young person who is starting to figure the world out. She has yeah. a dad who is a litigator who can argue any point. Wrapping things up. Speaking of Haitians and Hadians, um, she actually did not know how to pronounce it. That was not a purposeful character choice. Oh, she just went <laughs> Hadian. She just you know yeah and. Uh, Amy Heckerling was like, no one tell her. It's perfect. That's great. Which I love moments like that where it's like yeah. accidental character choices That's that are hilarious. so perfect. There's a lot of really fun, happy accidents that can happen um, in, during production. And I think you have to just roll with it. And sometimes some really cool stuff can happen. And then a couple facts that to me are t- a testament of how talented Amy Heckerling is and what a good movie this is, if you look beyond the surface, uh, when Cher's waiting for Christian's phone call, we didn't talk about Christian at all. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because I did not like him at all. <laughs> He's goofy. You know what? I would have loved cool being car. friends with Christian. He did I would have, have hate. I would never have been friends with Christian ever. Oh, I would. Yeah. No, Everything I've... about him was such a put on, like from the way he talked to people to all of the little phrases that he had. Nice stems. None of it felt sincere or natural to me. It felt okay, like his John, entire persona was constructed. He was he was in okay. He was in the clo- he was deep in the closet, John. He was very clearly gay. Okay. And did not want to you know, he didn't want to tell Cher nothing can happen, I'm gay. He wanted to get out of there. So I think he was kind of leading her on, mm. you know, saying, Oh yeah, this could be a romantic thing. But couldn't go so far as to say, no, I need this to, you know, I like Ben. Got you. And I probably developed that narrative for him that he was already out and you know, that way it was obvious. Yeah. So that, that definitely changes my idea a little bit. But yeah, just all he was. <laughs> you still you of, don't have to like him. <laughs> well, I mean, all the smug. He was just so smug. Like, yeah. uh, and he thought he was John Travolta in Greece. What what 16 year old listens to Billie Holiday? I, I mean, I guess whoever. But uh, do, you, do you like Billie Holiday? I love him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I sidelined myself there. But when Cher is waiting for Christian's call, the camera angle and shot make the phone look like the stone monument from 2001, A Space Odyssey. And the yeah. music playing at that point is from the same movie. And then um, the scene where Cher wanders around and she's, you know, having her existential crisis about Josh. As the fountains erupt, that's borrowed from Gigi. Oh, okay. Um, I wondered that. It was very purposeful. 
Well, and then the moment where she comes to the top of the stairs in the white dress and Josh realizes, oh, I think I like her. She's not like a little kid. Um, That's also from Gigi. And the same music plays from Gigi. That movie is also about an older brotherly-like character seeing a little girl transform into a beautiful young lady and falling in love with her. So there's a lot about this movie that's actually quite smart. You just have to look a little deeper. You know, there are only 36 stories. We've, we've come back to that multiple, that sentiment multiple times in this podcast is that the importance of looking deeper into a movie and then in your, in your own life to look deeper <laughs> as, as you interact with people that you interact with that to look below the surface, to see somebody for who they are and not just for their, what their appearance is. And, uh, we should all be best. Be best. Oh. Melania. I'm inspired now. Gone too soon. Gone That's, from office too soon. <laughs> On that note, shall we <laughs> shall we take a quiz? Choose the next movie. Yes, we should absolutely do that. Who wants to go first? <sighs> Can we rip the band-aid off? Just let me go first. Yeah. You wanna go first, Holden? Yeah. Alright. I'm going to leave I'm gonna leave the room. Okay, you ready, baby? <sighs> I'm nervous because you said you made it harder. Well, I might, I thought my Shakespeare in Love quiz was kind of hard, and it was far too easy. So, number one, where ugh, this is okay. We're gonna start easy. Where do Cher and her friends live and go to school? In Los Angeles. More specific. Beverly Hills. Correct. What kind of car does Cher drive? A Jeep. Mm-hmm. What color? Jeep. White. Yep. Uh, what kind of law does Josh want to study? Oh, it was something her dad didn't like. It was uh, something to do with the world, something to do with the earth, like conservation. It was something very eco-environmental. Environmental. Was there it environmental it is. law? Yeah, yeah, it was. Good job. <laughs> um, name, I was going to say name one, but now you need to name two of the cartoons shown in the movie. Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. Two of the cartoons. There were two. Share watches. First, both times are with Josh. The second time, it's Ren and Stimpy. But before that... Oh, there was a time before? Mm-hmm. Marvin the Martian. Mm-mm. Oh, no, that's... Ra- a tie draws Marvin the Martian. Yeah. Rug... Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Rugrats. <laughs> no. Um, that's okay. And then name two characters who say the title of the movie. There are three who use the word clueless in a sentence during the movie. Okay, so Cher says clueless. Mm-hmm. Dion says clueless. Yep. Can you get the third one? Um, one of their friends, right? Josh. Correct. Good job. You got four and a half out of five. Jen Cowens, it's Jen. Oh, and he's going to put his headphones in. I'm back. Up to Welcome desk. back. Okay. Talking Let's see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number one, where do Cher... We're going to start out easy. Where Number do Cher and her friends live and go to school? <laughs> oh, no. I said that... You know this. She said that was easy. I was LA? Like, yeah, and more specifically. <clears throat> what Beverly area Hills? of LA? Beverly Hills? Yes. Oh, total guess. You wow. guys, come on. I've said it multiple times. 
Um, what kind of car does Cher drive? Number two. Uh, a Jeep Wrangler Sport White. Oh. Uh, what kind of law does Josh say he wants to study? Environmental. Yep. Really? Yep. yep. Oh, shit. Yep. Name, I was going to say name one, but now you have to name two of the cartoons, the two cartoons shown in the movie that Cher watches with Josh. Ren and Stimpy is one. Mm-hmm. Was it Looney Tunes? No. Hmm. I don't, I don't remember the second one. Beavis and Butthead. Damn. Oh! That's right. So we both missed that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell by Holden's reaction. That <laughs> he said Marvin the Martian, which was Looney Tunes. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, that was referenced. For yeah, sure. it was. And yeah. she also had an Earthworm Jim picture on her book, which was pretty cool. Ty's Ty's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love Brittany Murphy. Okay. Anyway, um, last question. Oh, wow. Three characters say the title of the movie. They use the word clueless in a sentence. Name at least two of them. Well, I know Josh was one. Paul mm-hmm. Rudd was one. That's all I can really remember. Um, da- Dan Hedaya? Dad? Her dad? No. No. Okay. I would just be guessing, quite honestly. That's all I remember. Is I remember it being said once. Because um, every time someone name drops the movie title, I always... Get mad? No, I just went... Oh, there it is. There's the movie title. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently I missed two uh, two additional times. I didn't count the actual number, but it was like at least half a dozen times. But the three people are Cher, Dion. Dion's the first one to say it. She says it about Ty when she first gets to the school. And Josh. Mm. Well, that, that quiz wasn't too, too hard. You said it was going to be really hard. I try and then I feel bad because I feel like it's too hard. How'd we do? What are the results? The winner of episode 10 is Holden Tightroll Foster. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good job, Holden. I graciously admit defeat. Was it close? um, Yes, you were. It was just the the last question. Oh, so I was one off? Yeah. Wow, that was neck and neck. Or two thirds, I guess two-thirds off. Holden redeemed himself from last week's quiz, that's for sure. Yes. Good job, Holden. I had some tiebreakers, too. <laughs> oh, can we hear the tiebreakers? What reason does Cher give for allowing people, why people should come into the country? There's a specific phrase I'm looking for. Oh, I wrote this down. The Statue of Liberty does not have an RSVP. Yes. Nice. <laughs> so good. Because I was like, that's right. The Statue of Liberty does not have a RSVP. It does not say RSVP. And I think we could all do well to remember that. <laughs> uh, that aged well. Um, That's profound. Uh, my Another one was, uh, what does Dion say she would not say to Cher's face? That she was selfish. Yeah. That's another I great, remember that one. great quote. And then my last one was just to name as many iconic phrases as you can. Oh. Which was going to be fun. As if I could. Nice stems. <laughs> nice. Nice stems. I wrote down nice stems. I was like, I am disgusted. (laughs) That was the moment she should have known that he was a homosexual. (laughs) I only remember that from uh, the trailer. And so every time I thought about the movie Clueless, Clueless. I remember the the, the trailer and remember that line. I was like, nope, not going to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) What stems? Legs. When Christian bends down to pick up her pen, 
It's like when we first meet him and he and he says nice Yeah, stems. she's like showing off her little legs and he goes nice stems and she's like, "Oh." oh. And I'm like, "Honey." God. <laughs> oh boy. Holden, do you have a movie for us? Good job, to watch? Holden. Yes. Well earned. I have a list. Okay, we'll pick one. I don't know which one to pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did B movie last time. Correct. And I did Under the Silver Lake first time. Mm-hmm. Yes. <sighs> I'm in. Mm. <laughs> okay. I have picked a movie. <gasps> what is it? <laughs> and I think it's a good one. Well, why would I? Why would I? Why would I choose one if I thought it was bad? Maybe, I have a movie, you guys. Maybe to punish us for... I've, I have made a solid decision. All right. I can't wait. Um, Bated breath. I want I want you guys to watch Black Dynamite. Oh. Oh, you suckers gather around. There's a brand new movie coming to town. So get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, Black Dynamite. He's super cool and he no kung fu. <laughs> Drives a $5,000 car and wears a $100 suit. You're so righteous. This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies, he's out of sight. Uh, let me guess. You one of these brothers think you can get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile? I am smiling. Black Dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever. We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, Hunkins from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And he's better than Sham Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother, your death will not go on a bench. And put the dope on the street. It's my nephew Bucky. He OD. He's back in the game and he's playing for keeps. I'm declaring war on anybody who sells drugs in our community. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community. I've never heard of this movie. So Is it, you you gave me that for my birthday a lot. Yes, like maybe what, I, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Yes, I have yet to watch it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like feel real good. I feel like I I I. <laughs> I I knew that at some point we would have a podcast where we would need to discuss it, so I, I have waited. Yes, waited patiently. Uh-huh. You gotta cr- you gotta crack that baby open now. Yep. Um, that Break and, the that seal. and Brigsby Bear, I have uh, <gasps> held oh, off on. Brigsby Bear is good. You'll like it. Yes, Black Dynamite, the <laughs> like satirical peri- periodical black exploitation film from. 2009 it was a really gracious gift and you made uh <laughs> you redid the cover right you uh yeah the the cover for black dynamite I, while while the dvd cover the regular baby blue is okay it's fine uh i don't like conventional blu-rays i don't like the blue uh i don't like the blue case i like a criterion case honk honk on my pretentiousness <laughs> Um, so I made John a custom black dynamite. It's awesome. Uh, I can case. totally relate to that though. I do not like the Blu-ray case either. My physical media collection is slowly expanding, but I prefer still books or arrow release cases or yeah, like the yes. criterion cases are fantastic too. I do not like the standard blue Blu-ray cases. No, too thin and flimsy, recyclable. No, <laughs> recyclable. keep that. 
And maybe maybe yeah. one day we'll have a, a an episode where we where we where we lay out the rules for physical media owning. Oh, I would love a physical media. I won't be here. <laughs> That'll be when Maddie is on vacation. Maddie's out of town. John and I. I'll have be a at special... the mall. <laughs> Guys, we uh, simmer down now. We're going to be talking about physical medium and DVD and Blu-ray casing over the past decade. So all you movie nerds have that to look forward to eventually. Please. I was going to tell you something, Maddie. Okay. You can't watch Black Dynamite anywhere for free. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime to rent. You can find it on Vudu. Who uses that? You can watch it on YouTube. I would like to know the computer freaks who are using YouTube to watch movies. Or iTunes. Who uses that? Google Play. What is that? Anyway, find a way to watch Black Dynamite, whether that's visiting your movie trading company of choice or block... No. Or... <laughs> Uh, Walmart. No, they're not going to have it. Target's not going to have it. Ugh. You're out of luck. Let's just rent it on Amazon. $3. Cry to me. Send me a bill. No, don't do that. <laughs> or, All right, bye. Or do. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.